Did you know that you are called to glory? Glory now and glory in the age to come. Christ in you is the hope of that glory. I want to read to you from Colossians, and that is chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. To them God chose to make known how much, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very simple, very, very clear. And may this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I once asked a congregation, where is Jesus now? And a person shouted out, he's in my heart. Well, that wasn't the answer that I was looking for. I wanted to point out that he's literally, Jesus, is at the right hand of God. Uh, but this lady who shouted that out wasn't far wrong. Because this is one place, it's unique, where Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, he does say Christ. Well, what's the point? Well, the word Christ means the anointed one. The reason we refer to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the man, Christ, the anointed one. And if we say Lord Jesus Christ, which is Paul's favorite term, uh, it's God who is Jesus, the man, the anointed one. Uh, but here Paul just says Christ in you probably conscious of the Gnostics. But then he says, it's a mystery. A mystery, which is Christ in you. What does it mean by a mystery? Well, we might begin by asking, where is Christ in us? Is it in our mind? Is it in our heart? Is it in our body? Paul did say, I want Christ to be magnified in my body. So exactly where? Well, this is part of a mystery. Don't try to figure that out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But here's what you must never forget. Uh, you might say, well, I don't feel Christ in me. 
And if I were totally honest with you, uh, neither do I most of the time. In any case, it's a fact before it's a feeling. And the fact is, He is. Christ is in us. And it's another example of what we mean by regeneration being an unconscious work. Now, this is not time to go into the ordo salutis, order of salvation, but you need to know this. Remember that you were born again before you knew it. That is, you were conceived. You weren't around. And that is the way it is with a person who is saved. Regeneration, life, begins, or you would never be able to believe, because we're born dead in trespasses and sins. And the only way we ever believe is that life has been imparted to us. Well, so with Christ being in us, we may feel nothing at first. And so as regeneration is an unconscious act of the Holy Spirit, I choose to believe that Christ is in me, and he's called the hope of glory. Now, uh, extraordinary statement. We want to look at it a little bit. Are you aware? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, the writer says, we are all called to glory. Did you know that? That's all it says, glory. What is glory? Well, it's what you think it is. Praise, honor, high level of importance, significance, fame. Really? Oh, yeah. We've been called to glory. And you see, what is the hope that, that glory is in us? Because Christ is in us. God has chosen to honor us. It's his choice. It's his idea. You say, well, I never thought of that because I'm just a nobody. But Hebrews 2.10, we've been called to glory. And so the hope of that glory is that Christ is in us, the same Son of God who lived on this earth now honors us by reliving his life through us. Now, perhaps you know what it's like to have a parent reliving his or her life in you. A lot of people are aware of that. Parents will do that. Uh, I'm sure that my dad did that. He was never sure whether he was called to preach. And he's admitted to this. And so he thought, well, if my son becomes a preacher, it makes good uh, that desire. And, or at least I feel like I'm having a second chance. And a lot of Parents do this. I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. But there is this to be said. Jesus is reliving his life through us, except not because he's looking for something compensatory. There's nothing to make good or put right or to make up for because he was complete in himself. So why would he want to relive his life through us? Well, it's because that's what he has chosen to do. Now, the word hope, it means realistic expectation. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abideth faith, hope, love. Greatest of these is love. Faith. 
there's assurance in faith. Hope, high level of assurance. When you know that you're not going to be deceived. In fact, Romans 5 verse 2, hope does not disappoint us. And so Christ in you is the hope. You're not going to be disappointed. It is going to happen. Well, how then is this manifested? All right. It is manifested through our relationship with the Father. God the Father. Our relationship with Him is the way it is manifested. So that means that we must do nothing without His approval based upon that that's the way Jesus was. Jesus said, John 15, the Son does nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. Uh, we heard an extraordinary sermon this morning by Simon when he was talking about the man at the uh, pool of Bethesda who was healed. And it was on the Sabbath. And he got in trouble because it was the Sabbath. Nobody rejoiced in his healing. They were upset that it was done on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, well, my father did it. Uh, he's always working, Sabbath or not. And not only that, the son does what the father does. And so the father ordered this man to be healed. Now, you may have thought that that relationship that Jesus had with the father, think about it, John 5, 19. The son, referring to himself, can do nothing of himself or by himself. In other words, he only does what the father does. So he lives that way. And that has not changed at the right hand of God. That at the right hand of God, Jesus is our high priest. He's interceding for us. And do you think he makes it up as he goes along? What is he saying? Well, I have to tell you. He's interceding as the Father beckons him to do. And so this is a wonderful thing. If you let this grip you, that when you're praying, that the Father has already decided what is best for you. Psalm 84, verse 11. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so if you're wise, you will live by the faith of the Son of God. That's what Paul did. Because he knows the Son of God at the right hand of the Father is interceding according to the will of the Father. You say, well, R.T., I'm afraid that Jesus might leave out something that I would hope that he would get in there. I can tell you, if you want to be wise, you will go along with everything that has been planned for you. There is no way that you can improve on what God has decided is best for you. And the smartest thing you can do is to live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, why would Paul say that? Well, there are times when I don't feel like have, I have much faith at all. And I don't know what to pray for. Holy Spirit intercedes according to the will of God, equally Jesus. And so what I do is say, Father, whatever Jesus is praying for me, I just want to say, it's good. It's good. I accept that. I live that way. Now, that is the way this passage starts to be unfolded, living by his faith. Don't try to improve 
on the will of God. You'll never even come close. And, uh, and there have been those times perhaps when you say, well, Lord, I have to have this. Now, the mystery of prayer is that we ask what we want. But the good thing is that Jesus is in the right hand of God, standing guard, filtering our requests, and only lets pass through what is God's will. So when Jesus intercedes according to the will of the Father, same thing he was doing on this earth. The Son can do nothing of himself. I tell you, when this grips you, this is the way to live. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But then we might ask, how will this manifest itself? Because you say, I don't feel Christ in me. Well, there are two levels. One level, and that is earthly glory. Higher level, when we get to heaven, eternal glory. Well, now, what is an example of earthly glory? Well, I got a good example of it uh, a few days ago, uh, riding in a taxi on the way to uh, Victoria Station, and we rounded Buckingham Palace. And what do you suppose we saw? Wasn't the queen. We saw hundreds of people lined up. I mean, they went all the way around, hundreds. In fact, I happen to know there were 2,000. They were there for the queen's garden party. Oh, by the way, just I, I meant to say this. Look, uh, I would like to have a meeting tonight after the service with all those who have been to a garden party over the last several years. Uh, and, and I tell you what, to know whether to have a small room or big room, because we're going to have coffee and donuts. Uh, just, just get an idea how many will be there. Raise your hand. You were at the Queen's Garden Party either this year or in the last 20 years. You've messed everything up. Well, look, I will meet with you afterwards. Tell me about it because I've never been. No one else? Oh, there's another one. Good land. Well, you've already shown honor and glory. How many more? You're just too humble to admit. All right. Well, uh, here's the thing I said to Louise. Now, granted that there will be a few Christians. Obviously, there's two. I believe you. And it's an example. There'll be some Christians there. But generally speaking, probably the only glory those people will ever have is to be at the Queen's Garden Party. They wear their finest dress, probably bought a new one for that occasion. Nice, shiny shoes, pocketbook, hat, and it is something they will talk about. And by the way, only eight or ten of them will get to meet the queen. Uh, I've got inside information. Uh, it's predetermined who gets to speak to her, and they are told to walk this way. Uh, the rest will just have to say, because the first thing that your friends will ask, did you, well, did you meet the queen? Okay. <laughs> did you meet the queen? No. All right. You see, very few meet her. But imagine, 
those who get to meet the queen, you talk about a moment of glory. But the sad thing is, it's probably the only glory, honor they will ever have. But think about this. Look what's coming down the road for you and me. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that which no greater can be conceived. Well, now you may ask, is there any other way that this is manifested? Well, I think so. For example, uh, wisdom. Do you realize uh, that Jesus is our wisdom and our redemption? Uh, he's referred to as a greater than a Solomon is here. I was just reading this week again of the story of the two women who had babies. And one died. And the mother of the dead child took the dead child and traded with the mother's living baby and had it with her. And so the next morning, the mother of the baby that was stolen said, uh, this is not my baby. And the mother holding the imposter said, well, this is my baby. So it finally it went to Solomon. And Solomon could see both claiming to be the mother. And the only way to solve it, Solomon says, bring me a sword and bring the baby. And Solomon's going to come down on the sword. And the true mother said, stop. Don't, don't touch the baby. The other mother said, fine, let it go. Solomon said, here's the mother. And all spread all over the countryside. An example of earthly glory is when you are given wisdom that will dazzle people. Where did you get this wisdom? And here's what we read in Proverbs. Get wisdom, get insight. And then he tells us this. The beginning of the wisdom that is promised is the fear of the Lord. It has nothing to do with how well connected you are, has nothing to do with your IQ, has nothing to do with your education. Anybody can have it, the fear of the Lord. And God will do things through you that you never thought possible. And when you consider the wisdom of Jesus, uh, look how he would put the Pharisees in their place. And he loved to do it. And do you know how he did it? Just by things he said. You see, he knew how pompous they were. He said, all the Pharisees do is done to be seen of men. And so they would come to him and try to trick him. And he would put them into their, in their place. And one after another, he would silence the Pharisees. Such wisdom. Amazing. And then consider when he went before Herod. And by the way, there's one time, believe it or not, I can perfectly imitate Jesus. You want to see it? I can do it, honestly. He comes before Herod. And Herod said, oh, good. I've been wanting to meet this man. He hoped to see some kind of miracle right before his eyes. So here's Jesus. And here is what he says. Let the camera be focused on me right now. I'm going to mimic Jesus.
How am I doing? He didn't say a word. Didn't say, you talk about brilliance. And by saying nothing, look what he did to Herod. Got him all flustered and mad and angry. Same thing with Pontius Pilate. Isaiah 53, as a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So we've already said, John 5, 19, everything that Jesus did it's because of what he saw the Father do. Every word he uttered, every miracle he performed, he was taking his cue from heaven. And so in this moment, he is told by the Father, don't say a word. God will give you wisdom like that, where you don't think you're going to be able to stand what is coming. I used to see Yasser Arafat visit him five times. I always claim the promise, Matthew 10, 20, when you're called before kings, take no thought what you shall say. The Spirit will give you the word. And I can say, I don't regret anything I ever said. One of those times, God will give you the words. And I think of Stephen before the council. They were not able to resist the wisdom. God will do that for you. Christ in you, his wisdom. We're told in Mark 6, he performed these miracles and they attributed it to his wisdom. They said, where did he get this wisdom to perform all these miracles? Christ is in you. Who knows how he will use you? It ain't over till it's over. I hath not seen nor ear heard. Neither have entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that wait for him, that love him. And so, wisdom. I have to tell you, the wisdom of Jesus, however, was an unvindicated wisdom. What's that? Well, we're told, 1 Timothy 3, 16, that Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. It's an internal vindication. Would you be content with an internal vindication? Now, the word vindication means to have your name cleared. You've been absolved from blame. People said you've been stupid and you want them to see that you did the right thing. That's being vindicated. And we all, by nature, want external vindication so that people will see. But what if all you got was internal vindication so that the Holy Spirit witness to you and he affirms you and you know that you got it right. That was Jesus. His vindication was internal. External vindication? No. They crucified him. But he knew he was pleasing the Father. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing for an internal vindication? Just to know that he says good. You did what I want you to do. You said exactly what I wanted you to say. And nobody agrees with you. They laugh at you. They try to hurt you. But it's okay. Internal vindication. That is what Jesus had. And if you have that, uh, remember, he was crucified. And by the way, remember that Stephen, though they couldn't resist his wisdom, they killed him. And so we're talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
And then this wisdom is manifested by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 23, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. So far I can do not too bad at times, but then it comes to the last one, self-control. Oh dear. Now I've been debating for the last two hours whether to share something with you. If I shared something with you, would you just keep it between us? Scott, between you. Gabriel, put the computer down. Talk to me. Listen to me. Would you be willing to keep this between you and me? I'm not really joking. I've had a trouble with my temper all my life. I remember when I was six years old, I got so angry with my mother for cooking the porridge and I burnt my tongue because it was too hot and I blamed her. Who's laughing? I bet you've done it. Well, I've been doing it ever since. Try to picture this. On a Saturday morning at Westminster Chapel, Louise and I get in this fiery argument and I slam the door. If you'd been listening outside the door, you would have not thought it was me. <laughs> and then I go witness on the streets to passers-by and at the end, we come in for a group uh, time of prayer and one of the men there says, Dr. Kendall, you are the most like Jesus of anybody I have ever met. And I looked at him. I said, brother, you don't know me. But then somebody's going to say, but that was years ago. You don't think I do that anymore? Ask Louise. I'm not happy about it. I struggle with it. In fact, I read this every day. I can't say it's working, but here's a verse I read. Proverbs 16.32. There are two or three verses I read every day in addition to my regular Bible reading. And this is one of them. Proverbs 16.32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I think, where does that leave me? And then on the other side, it, in our, um, I just go ahead and read it because it's same opening. Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. That's me. I read this. And so when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, I do okay on some of them. And then I think, but wait a minute. The Bible says, Christ in you. The hope of glory. And I want to say, but that's why it's called a mystery. It's a mystery because we don't know, this. does it mean the mind? Does it mean the heart? He's in us. Here's a greater mystery. 
when I think of what I am, not the way I used to be, the weaknesses I still have, and I think, Christ in you, and I'm going to preach tonight. I think of that hymn, one of my favorite hymns, has that line in it, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, that's me. And who am I to stand before you? If you think I'm making it up, wait till we get to heaven and you get a video replay. <laughs> People that think these things, they don't know me. And so it's a mystery. How can it be that God could manifest himself through such a poor example of a minister? And yet we know this. It's also eternal glory that we're called to. And this is a wonderful thing. God isn't finished with us yet. And here's what we read in pre, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Looking, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, what kept him going? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you think he liked it? Despised the shame. Do you think he enjoyed that? Do you know that they took all his clothes off? He's hanging naked on a cross. Mary Magdalene, his mother, the, the crowd saw him. They said, hey, son of God, come down from the cross so we can see him. He saved others. He can't save himself. Do you think Jesus liked that? It was horrible. And when they nailed in the nails, what made you think he liked it? It was awful. But what kept him going? He knew that on the other side, the joy that was set before him. And so in this world, we all, I think you might include me at least a little bit, have much growing to do. The good news is, whom he justified, and that's me, I know I'm justified. I know that the righteousness of Jesus is put to my credit. I am righteous in his eyes. Maybe not yours, and not my own. But he says it. And those whom he justified, he glorified. He's not finished with us yet. And so, eternal glory. So as Jesus was welcomed home by his Father, so are we promised a glorious welcome. Imagine this. After it's all over, whatever life has been for you, you're going to stand before him, and you're going to get the verdict. No one will have bribed him. He's going to know everything. And the thought that he might look at us and say, Good. Well done. Can you imagine? You're talking about glory. You're talking compared to a garden party. Imagine eternal glory and honor than which no greater can be conceived. But then Paul makes an interesting comment. He says, for this I toil. Why would he do that? Well, that sometimes you have to make an effort. Uh, you control your temper. Uh, when it comes to total forgiveness, 
the most natural thing in the world is to say, God, get them. But to say, it's okay. You let them off the hook. It's not easy, but you do this. You refuse to keep a record of wrongs. You can do that. You refuse to tell anybody what they did. You make an effort. It's not easy. And so here's what Paul said. It's interesting. I work hard with all his energy. Imagine that. It's a paradox. I work hard with all his energy. You see, we must make the effort, uh, working hard, struggling, and then, if you will forgive me for this expression, the power of the Spirit kicks in. It's like when you take a paracetamol. In about 10, 20 minutes, it kicks in. You take medicine. After a little bit, it kicks in. You kind of wait. At first, you do it. You think, I don't feel anything. And so Paul saying that. I work hard, but lo and behold, with all his energy. Uh, we make, make an effort, working hard. And the power of the Spirit moves in. And I found it true. It's been true throughout church history. People who didn't feel like doing the right thing, they just did it anyway. There are times when I don't feel like praying. I just pray anyway. I don't feel like reading my Bible, but I do it. The other day, coming home from TBN, I was so tired. And, and it was a Muslim dr driving the car. I thought, I need to talk to him. Well, it's, you know, my success rate with Muslims is like one out of 300, if that. And I thought, Lord, I know he's bothering him. But I thought, what if no one ever, ever, ever talks to him? So I just, with the energy, started in. And would you believe he was a Shiite from Iran, prayed the prayer at the end, and was in tears. He couldn't believe what had happened, nor could I. Sometimes you just move with the effort. You don't feel like it. A couple came from America across the Atlantic 200 years ago because they wanted to hear George Whitfield preach. They said, by the time they landed after a three-week crossing, those weren't the days of the QE2 when you go, off, go across in four days, three weeks. There were several storms. They didn't think they would live. And when they landed at Southampton, they were so tired but they inquired, would George Whitfield be preaching in London? Yes. So they make their way to London. They go to Tottenham Court Road where his tabernacle was. And they go, and it's Whitfield, all right. But they said, you know, he looked tired. He must have had a busy week. And he started out, and he just kind of mumbled and struggled. And they just wondered if it was worth the effort. When all of a sudden, something happened. It was electric. He began to soar. He began to preach. And he said by the time he finished, they would have crossed a thousand seas for that moment. And they said they left physically refreshed. That's what the Spirit will do. Power of the Spirit. We make an effort. We feel so unworthy. But we're told Christ is in us. We feel nothing. Feel it or not, he's in us. And Paul says... I work hard, and the Spirit enables me to do it. 
And so feel this or not, Christ is in us. And now think about this. The only glory some people will ever have is a garden party. A good invitation. Maybe a little bit of name dropping. By the way, those people wouldn't go if they couldn't talk about it. That's the only fun they're going to get. If they knew they couldn't tell anybody, they wouldn't go. You see, something's going to happen to us down the road. A welcome than which no greater can be received. Have you ever heard of Henry Morrison? Anybody here ever heard of Henry Morrison? Well, he was a Baptist preacher a hundred years ago in the era of President Theodore Roosevelt. He was a missionary in Africa for 40 years. He decided the time had come for him to retire, and he sent a letter to a couple friends to say, we will be coming to New York, and uh, we will see you soon after we get there. And so he and his wife now on the trip back, and on the day that the uh, ship is to arrive, they make sure they're first in the queue to get off the ship. And as the ship is coming in, a band is playing, and they can't believe that this was, oh, they look at each other. They shouldn't have done this for us. Oh, oh, and they were so excited, and they were ready to get off that ship when a policeman says, stop here, sir. What, what? Uh, just don't go any further. It turned out that President Theodore Roosevelt was on the same ship. He had been game hunting in Africa for three weeks. The band was for him. As it turned out, the old couple were last off the ship. And they come down the gangplank and they put their suitcases down. Nobody. Nobody there to meet them. They make their way three blocks to a second-rate hotel. The old missionary falls on his knees and sobs. And says, Lord, I serve you. Forty years in Africa. I come home, nobody here. President of the United States, game hunting. He comes home and a band plays. But at that moment, he heard as clear as anything. The Lord whispered to him, but you're not home yet. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's coming. You're not home yet. Christ in you, the hope of glory.